Hey everyone, thanks for listening. Just a quick reminder that the Patreon campaign for The Broken Meeple is always ongoing. You can check it out at patreon.com slash thebrokenmeeple where you have the option of donating as little as a dollar a month to help me improve the written reviews, the podcast, and the upcoming YouTube channel. Okay, on with the show. This is the Dice Tower Network, adding games to your wish list since 2005. The home of smart people, insightful board gaming commentary, and Luke Hector. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. The Broken Meeple, Episode 13, Solo, Part 1. Yes indeed, part one. This is a two-part special of a collaboration between the Broken Meeple and Board Gamers Anonymous. Yes, I will be talking with Jason Perez and Anthony Chatfield as we give you our top ten solo games. We have a host of contributors, some you'll recognize from the Dice Tower Network and some from other places, and also a people's choice. Hello everyone, welcome to the episode. This one should be airing, if we're good, before the UK Games Expo this week. So if it does, I hope to see you guys there. I've got my t-shirts ready, my business cards ready. All I've got to do is spend this weekend, because it's now Saturday the 27th of May as I'm recording this intro, to basically get everything prepped. So I look forward to seeing you lot there. But just to go into what this episode is all about. Essentially, I am a member of the Solo Board Gamers Facebook group. Because as much as I love playing board games with other people, you have to accept that in a world where time is a luxury resource, sometimes you just need to be able to get a game out by yourself every now and again. It just fits up that space. Well, as part of that group, uh, Jason Perez and Anthony Chatfield, who run Board Gamers Anonymous, they have a podcast called Every Night is Game Night. I believe it used to be called Table for One. And they talk a lot about solo games with theirs as well. Now, they contacted me on the Facebook group as I was getting involved in some of the conversations and we decided to do a collaboration between the two podcasts. This is essentially going to be broadcasted on this podcast as well as on their podcast as well. So you'll be able to hear it whichever of the two you go to. It's just you'll hear a different intro and outro with each one, but the material is still the same. We recorded this on the morning of 27th of May between the three of us over Skype. And this is a very epic long episode and neither one of us like to do two hour episodes and shove them in your face. So what this is, is essentially split into two parts. So the first part of our top 10 list, which probably will go up to probably around halfway, it depends, but we'll give you the first half in part one, which you're going to hear in a second. And then later on during this week, you will hear part two, which goes into the remainder of our top 10 and also brings in the contributors and the people's choice list. It was extremely enjoyable to record this one. This is one of the best podcasts I've had to record in a long time collaborating with other people. And it was it was a blast. It was great fun. This is a great top 10 list because I could have literally come up with a top 30 There are so many good games that you can play by yourself and trying to do 10 was hard. I reckon I could jumble up my top 10, make an entirely different order and it would still be perfectly valid because they are great games. And even, you know, we have some crossovers and we have some differing opinions on certain things, but generally we were pretty much in sync. And, you know, there are some games where some people will like that and some won't, but, you know, we all respected the fact that they were generally good games and deserved to be on the solo chart hits. So there was a good value of camaraderie around everybody. So I'm going to leave you with the conversation that we had as we recorded the list. Part one will happen right now, part two later in the week. So enjoy yourself, have a listen, and I'll get back to you at the end of this episode. Hey everybody, uh, this is The Broken Meeple and Every Night is Game Night coming at you with our top 10 solo games of all time. So um, this is for people who don't know uh, each other's audiences. I am Jason, I'm from Every Night is Game Night. Hey, this is uh, Anthony, also from Every Night is Game Night. And I'm Luke Hector from The Broken Meeple, United Kingdom. 
or <laughs> had to put in the. Go uh, make that clear. Yeah, go make that clear. <laughs> <laughs> just to rub it, might... it in that you're in the middle of the afternoon and we're at <laughs> the crack of dawn. <laughs> no, it's in case they listen to my voice and go, "Hmm, I don't understand this." <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so before we get into our top tens, I wanted to get into a little bit of methodology. How did we put together our list? Uh, did you take your favorite games and like, okay, these play solo. I'm going to take these. Are you, did you take your favorite solo experiences? Did you kind of curate your list anyway? Uh, so how did you approach it? We're talking more favorite solo experiences more than just favorite games. So, I mean, you know, a couple on my list would normally be higher if it was just my top 10 favorites, but it was a hard list to put together because I've got at least about 25 to 30 different games written on this piece of paper here that I had to cull down to 10, you know, and all of them are enjoyable. So it's just a case of like trying to figure out, well, which ones are easier for me to get to the table, but also even if they are, even if they do take a bit of time to set up, which ones just give me the most decent experience for a solo game versus playing it multiplayer. Yeah, I mean, I, I took it a kind of a little bit different of attack. I mean, I didn't. I have a lot of games that are multiplayer, so um, and some of them are my favorites, but they're not necessarily my favorite games. Like my top ten games are not like represented here necessarily, and a lot of those do play solo. Uh, I think what I did was the games that I play most often um, and generally enjoy every time, like less you know lower stress. But then there was a couple where I was like, well, I need to have you know at least one dice game or. Um, or I need to have at least one co-op and, um, those aren't spoilers cause it's just what's at the top of my head right now. But, um, you know, just trying to make sure that certain things represented because those certain things, sometimes I'm in the mood for that type of game and what's the best one I pull off the shelf. Um, that's not the whole list, but there were a couple that I, I felt myself doing that. Yeah, that's definitely right. Like I would literally have 10 thematic dice rolling co-op games if I went with my top 10 games. So, uh, but that's not what I'm always in the mood for. I'm sometimes in the mood for, like you said, dice game or strategy game or different types of experiences. So mine was like, I thought about it a little more in terms of um, different categories. And then I went with best in show for that category. Like, you know, the dog show. <laughs> you have different types of dogs and which one's the best dog? Uh, so I have 10 lead dogs, and so does everybody else. So we are going to jump right into it. Okay, guys, you ready? Let's do it. Woof. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Anthony. You got the dog somewhere. So. <laughs> uh, Jason, you just opened a can of dog puns for the next two hours. I don't know. <laughs> yes! Yes, puns! Let's do it. <laughs> So my first one, uh, speaking of the obligatory dice game, uh, this is where I put that one. Um, and so like a couple weeks ago, I actually had a different game here. I had a hostage negotiator in this slot. And that for a very long time was my favorite uh, solo dice game. Um, and may in the long term end up still being that with the new content coming soon. But that's not the one I put here because recently I've discovered a different game. And it's not really a dice chucking game, but I'm going to consider it a dice game because you're rolling a lot of dice. And there's a certain amount of luck uh, into, into how the game plays out. And that's Sagrada. So Sagrada is a, um, it's a game where you're making stained glass windows. You roll some dice, you draft them, and you place them into this little um, window space with these different slots. And you're trying to match a certain pattern and maximize your score based on placement and everything else. And it's, it's a pretty cool little game. It's very puzzly, and it has a lot of very interesting ideas to it. Um, I'm pretty excited about it. Again, it's relatively new, so this is me uh, kind of... It's Cult of the newing. Culting of the newing, yeah, that's what I do. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> at the moment, it is my favorite, and uh, I've been playing it for a little while now, so I th I th I'm going to give it the props here, um, and uh, we'll see if Hostage Negotiator comes back in six months, but at the moment, it's Sagrada. Certainly looks pretty. I've no idea, of it, to be honest. I've, I think it's only just got released over this end, and I've yet to see it or see it being played or grab a copy. Looks pretty. I mean, it's stained glass windows and a lot of colored dice. I wasn't even aware it was a solo game at first. I thought it was a multiplayer sort of dice chucker, but I, know, I have to give it a look just for aesthetics alone. Yeah, it is one to four, um, and it plays great with up to four. It's not one of those ones where it's like, well, you should definitely play it with less. No, it plays fine. Um, the solo version is more of a puzzle. You have less flexibility in what you're doing and you can vary the difficulty in a lot of different ways so 
there's these cards that you can play. They're tool cards that give you uh, special abilities. And the more of them you have, the easier the game is. So you can have, like the normal game is three. Um, you can start with five in the solo game and have as few as zero. So it's pretty cool like that. So this game, people are comparing it to role player. Like I, asked, I see that question asked on the groups uh, on the forums a lot. Like which one, role player or Sagrada? Uh, I have played role player, have not played Sagrada. I do like role player. We'll see if it shows up on someone else's list. All right. Luke, give us your top. Uh, give us your number ten. Number ten had to battle out with my number eleven, and in fact, I had to pr- the previous night go and play these two games again just to find out. Yeah, is it definitely this one I prefer? And these are two from the Omniverse series against Shadi Tobe from Z-Man Games. Uh, have done these, and they're very popular. So the games, Anirim just got knocked off for number 11, even though I do think that's a very good solo game. I'm just very bad at it. I seem to have a difficulty uh, winning the thing, despite making good choices. But my top pick for the Omniverse one, my number 10, would be Sylveon, which I know isn't necessarily the most popular on a lot of other people's lists when it comes to this series, but the Sylveon one where you've got that tower defense scenario of defending against this big fire elemental and you're protecting your forest... I like those types of games anyway, because they're quite tactical in how you do it. It's not just, you know, you've got some card draw luck, but how you defend is up to you. But what's elevated this one above Anirum is the advanced rules where not only do you be able to, you can add in some extra winning conditions, you can also tailor, like almost tailor draft your collection of these forest creatures. They're like your people that you defend the forest with. And you go through this phase of, laying out the cards in columns, selecting them, the deck automatically scraps some out of the game, you know, depending on what you draw. And and so you're having to decide, well, which creatures do I really want this game? You know, I desperately need some of those fountains. I need some of those trees. And before you start the actual game, you've already got this unique deck that's different every time. And that's what's elevated it above a Nyrum for me. Bit more of a setup, bit more of a, you know, lengthier playing time than all Nyrum. I'll give it that. I would love to see this come out as an app like the new Oniram one, uh, Oniram, Oniram, I don't know, whatever the pronunciation of that is now, but Sylveon takes my 10th spot. Onirim. Onirim, right. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard it said Oniram so often, it's only just now I've heard Onirim, but apparently that's the, that's the official way. So. We'll put a phonetic spelling in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, Sylveon, that's an interesting one because that's actually my least favorite of the Oni of the Oniverse series, just because I find it very solvable. Like, I, the, when the deck comes out, I know kind of, you know, uh, the way the deck construction comes out, you, it, the deck seems a little, a little bit different, but I find that I go for the same stuff every time. Like, you know, a four point fountain is there. I'm going to take that four point fountain, uh, or, you know, certain cards, if they're there, I'm going to take them, and it isn't that different. And I just find that I'm—it's really easy, like easier than like you were saying, Onirim, which is you know a really smooth game, but you you know you lose every once in a while just because of the the, the card luck, uh, no matter how good decisions you make. Uh, but Sylvia, I just I find that you know I, I just don't find the challenge there. I mean, how do you, how do you find the challenge? There's plenty enough of a challenge. I mean, I played it last night just to double check the things, and I just won. As a close call, you can tailor the difficulty very easily by just starting with some, you know, the official rule in there. You can just t- start with some trees already, uh, you know, burnt before you even begin. And the expansion that adds in the betrayers also throws a spanner in the works where sometimes you'll end up discarding more cards out of your deck. I mean, to be fair, I don't play these two games enough to be called a veteran at them. So it's not like I'm winning them on a regular basis. They still give me enough of a challenge. But no, I don't find myself necessarily aiming for the same animals each time so i do try to mix it up a bit like you know one game it's yeah you want to get the biggest fountains but there'll be one where i'm like right i'll try and get some of these uh squirrels and doves or whatever to mess around with the fire deck or this time i'm going to get tons of stags and you know whales and i'm just going to load up on trees so even if i do get burnt i can recover at the end and it just it does lend itself to some other ways of doing it but i find i've got more control over what i do than in onirim because with only rim, I can decide, yeah, I'm going to place this card or do this when a nightmare turns up. But the deck might just say, you know what, you're going to lose. And this is why. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, it's funny because if somebody is not familiar with Sylvia and they hear about like, well, I'm going to draft some whales and stags. And it's like, what the yeah. heck is going on? <laughs> oh, that's got to be enough reason to check it out. I mean, forest creatures defending the forest from a fire animal. It sounds, it sounds like a film that... Uh, 
you know, that, that should be a Don Bluth animation film in the making. Is. <laughs> All right. Uh, so I'm going to get to my number 10. I know I gave uh, Luke a little bit of grief about his, which so, and, and of course, I'm going to come in with something really weird and uh, not technically solo. It's it's two to four, but I'm just kind of adjusting it and it's very easy to adjust. So this is my uh, kind of kids family game and it's a dexterity game, which for me, you could, I feel like you could really play a dexterity game solo just on their own. Like you could flick or you could build or you could, you know, do whatever dexterity games want you to do and just practice and your own goodness or badness at it is the resistance that you require. Um, but I really wanted to get a kind of a kid's family game on this list. Um, pretty important to me, like something with a big toy factor. So I went with junk art. Uh, junk art is from at this point, plan B games. I think that they renamed the company there. Uh, Big wooden box with a lot of big wooden chunky pieces, 15 pieces per person. And the way you play this solo is so every set uh, of player pieces has a base. So you put, and this is actually in the rules. I think this is the Pisa um, set of rules. So this is a bunch of different rule sets. So you just take one of them, which is to put two bases in the middle of the table and just try to build as high as you can. Uh, try to build a structure where all 15 pieces are fitting together. And if that's too easy for you, then include somebody else's pieces. Uh, and then include somebody else's pieces. Now you're going 30, 45. I've actually seen people on Twitter have built 60-piece structures. Ah! I, I'm not doing that. <laughs> I got big shaking sausage fingers. Me and Anthony are like, <laughs> are, these fingers were made for slapping down, not, not building up. <laughs> But it's it's really super fun, uh, and it really you know when you're doing it like I've actually used this game in therapy where I'll just build and people just get into like they they use their hands um, pretty effectively uh, and it's just fun you know so like you know big toy factor very very easy to appropriate to a solo con um, scenario so I'm going junk art for my number ten. So essentially playing with toy Legos. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> With some here's rules some, here's in some there. Jenga blocks thrown yeah. in there. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that. that would be weird to put Legos as my number 10 now. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we're moving on to our number nine. Well, there's not going to be a huge amount of Euros on this list, even though I do enjoy a lot of Euro games. But this one's definitely the heaviest of the, like, heaviest one most of my collection, to be honest, on my list. And that's Uri Rosenberg's Fields of Arles, which is certainly my go-to solo favorite of his games. I mean, he's done so many of the resource management style games and several of them I own, like Caverna and Feast of Odin and that. But... Fields of Arl gets my vote, because I don't actually often play this two-player. I prefer this as a solo game, and it is just basically like Uri Rosenberg's Greatest Hits album, because it takes every little piece out of Agricola, La Havre, you know, uh, Caverna, and some of his smaller stuff, shoves them into this one game and goes, all right, sandbox, though, how many options would you like? Go nuts. And, you know, whether you're building up your moors, your fields, your animals, trading with cities, building vehicles, buildings, upgrading your tools. You've got so many different choices and only so many actions to do it with. And yeah, there's a bit of a learning curve in terms of getting the rules in your mind. But then once you do that, everything kind of flows very smoothly. And if you think, well, I don't really know if this is going to work out for me, well, just go ahead and do it anyway, because you can always just pack it up and try again the next time and you learn it as you go. But yeah, if you want a true sandbox Euro, I can't think of many better ones than this to go for. Yeah, I love the sandbox element of this thing. It's like he took everything and he's just like, do something with it. <laughs> it's... Yeah, I, I just want to be able to choose my own thing. It happens with a lot of games I like in general. I want there to be enough past the victory or enough strategies where I can go, you know what, I want to do this and I don't want the game to hit me for it, you know, to slap me for trying to be unique. Yeah, definitely. And this one almost made my list. Um there's another game that'll come up later. There's a reason it didn't quite make my list, but it is definitely one of my favorites. And I like the idea because it's he does put a lot of solo rules into several of his games, but this one is designed for one or two people in mind. So it definitely you can feel that. 
Yeah, I hear there's an expansion coming out for it later to, at some point. I've heard rumors of a one that adds the ability to have like a third player or something, and I'm kind of half dreading that because it's like, oh, it's pretty long already. I don't want more players. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. No. <laughs> I mean, I guess it would open it up to more people, but three people with that, God, it was like three or four hours. Well, that third person will not be me. <laughs> <laughs> you guys have fun. <laughs> It's all right. Here's some here's a, here's a, here's some Lego pieces. You have fun. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Put Yay! you in the corner with the glittering glue. <laughs> so we go from Lego pieces to uh, giant depth of strategy to hair pulling dice chucking. Uh, yes. So I have another game that is the exact opposite of of a strategy game. Uh, this is my uh, standard, my go to dice chucker. Uh, it is Space Hulk Death Angel. Uh, so this is the Fantasy Flight sla- uh, game that is was licensed from the Game Workshop uh, Warhammer 40k property, which is now out of print. So I see a lot of people kind of jumping on this, and you know, do I get the expansion? Is that uh, for 20 bucks each? Blah, blah, blah. Um, so it's kind of gotten its own little buzz now that it's um, out of active circulation. So um, you know, you are a bunch of space marines. You control it. You, it's three handed, which isn't the best, but you know, it, it kind of works. Uh, and you're going through. And you're defeating aliens, and you're rolling dice, and you're, you know, um, you're dying. It's really, really hard. Your dice can just like really screw you, you know, right where it, it, it is, doesn't feel good to get, um, <laughs> to get messed with like that. And it just, it's awesome. Like, and I like it better. Like, there's, uh, there's other games. There's one deck dungeon. There's Hostage Negotiator. There's a bunch of other uh, dice games, like faster paced dice games. I like this one. It's the most visceral. It's the most stand up at the table uh i at one point i was at a con and i was playing this with a a friend of mine and z garcia and sam healy were at the next table and we were rolling the dice and we were just getting so excited and z is like raising his eyebrow at us going oh what's going on over there and sam's like hoo marines Kill those gene stealers! <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me in the slightest, knowing Sam's. <laughs> oh my god, it was so much fun. And you know, it obviously you're not going to be screaming out uh, to yourself solo, but maybe you are. I don't know. Maybe you're that kind of gamer that just like it likes to get excited and stuff. Uh, so yeah, so uh, Space Hulk Deck Angel, easily my favorite dice chucker. That's my number nine. Uh, any game that enables you to gives you the chance to either role play it or just go nuts and get into it is always a good thing. So I've not actually tried this one. That uh, I don't know. Maybe I'll see it at the expo next week. Because I tend to see it like on sale or clearance, or some people put it on the bring and buy and that. So maybe I'll just have to grab it if it's cheap and give it a shot because I do like the 40k universe. Yeah, you kind of have to play it up because it is brutal. <laughs> <laughs> Those dice rolls can be brutal. Yes. So, um, Anthony, what is your number nine? All right. I'm going to take it back away from the dice chucking. Away from the dice chucking. <laughs> away back from to Euro the territory? Yes. Yes. Back back where I'm comfortable. Um, so I, I wanted to include at least one Automa game on here. And uh, obviously there's one relatively recent one that's been quite popular. Um, but I picked a different one. I picked uh, the first one, actually, Viticulture. Um, with either Tuscany or the Essentials Edition, uh, whichever variant of this. There's been like six different releases at this point. Uh, but Viticulture, uh, with the Automa expansion added, which is created by Morton Monrad Peterson, it is not just a solo version of a worker placement game. It is a almost feels like a new game using the pieces and um, the mechanics of Viticulture. Uh, the way that the Automa deck replicates um, what an opponent would do, blocking spaces, um, minimizing resources, counting down the available turns and the available actions that you can take. It really, really feels uh, like you're playing against, you know, this this opponent of some sort. You know, the, the whole point of an Automa deck is to make it feel the same as it would as if you were playing the game with other people and have the tension and the stress and the... Um, okay, I need to pick my actions carefully because there's only going to be so many to take. And this one does it really well. It was one of the first ones to do it really well. And the reason I picked this one over, like, say, Scythe, which I also really like, is it's a little bit quicker, uh, takes up less space on the table, uh, has all that extra stuff in the box. Um, On the Tuscany side, there's a lot of content here to draw from. And even if you have the Viticulture Essentials Edition, there's still a lot of good stuff there. Um, Yeah, so Viticulture is... It's one that keeps coming out. And, you know, for a while, when Scythe first came out, I was playing that way more. 
But I do find myself playing this a bit more now because I don't necessarily want to leave Scythe on my table for hours, weeks, <laughs> months, uh, because it's such a big setup and breakdown. So yeah, Viticulture, that's that's the one for me right now. Certainly do like it. I mean, it's my second favorite game of all time, but it does, you know, the, I don't find myself playing it solo as often. Maybe I just haven't gone for these Ultima styles yet, or perhaps it's just because I like that multiplayer aspect for worker placements where, you know, all right, somebody could actually block my move and this throws a spanner in the works, but... I suppose maybe it's also the variety because if I the people I play it with, you know, we try out different things. Everyone sort of gets into the theme of it, so it's I, I pull it out every now and again for solo. But I've just found myself always wanting to do the multiplayer, providing it's the essentials or Tuscany, because it would be a lot further down my list if it was just the basic original version. Yeah, yeah, that that's definitely true. I don't think I've ever played a game with such disparity between <laughs> the base level and what it does when it's expanded. Um, so much better, and it's funny because. I, I like worker placements, one of my favorite mechanics. This is probably the only one that really replicates the reason I like it so much within a solo experience. But I understand what you're saying. It is it does feel very different playing a multiplayer versus solo. Um I just happen to like this solo pretty pretty good uh for what it is. So yeah, no, I definitely understand that. Um I think a lot of other ones what it ends up being is you feel like you're practicing the game. Uh you know, if you're playing whatever solo variant it has, like Caverna or Agricola or something, you're just practicing the game to get better. This one, you're actually playing the game, which is pretty cool. I got to get this to the table. <laughs> I've not played Viticulture. It's Luke Hector's second favorite of all time, and I have no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> You've got to get this played, man. I mean, if you want a thematic Euro, it's not... I mean, yeah, the one or two things in it can be argued, okay, that's slightly off, but, you know, you, you can't help but just get sucked into it. I mean, you want to play this game with a wine glass in your hand. <laughs> All right. Possibly uh, some cheese. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you're hungry. <laughs> All right, so we are going to transition to our number eight. So I'm going to lead us off with number eight right now. Um, I am going to make uh, Luke pretty happy right now because uh, it's funny because uh, when I'll pop in every once in a while to the Facebook solo group or Twitter, whatever it is, I will see somebody who is dressed in a superhero outfit uh, preaching to the masses about this game, <laughs> how how amazing it is. Uh, Luke really definitely stumps for it, and I'll I'll give him a break on it for a little while. <laughs> Don't know if it's actually on his solo list, um, but Sentinels of the Multiverse is definitely on mine. It is one of the first games that I picked up solo when I started playing solo games a couple years ago. So I'm not that, you know, um, uh, I've done the solo thing for a long time. I wish I had. That'd be really awesome. Um, but no, this game uh, was really super, super fun. Um, you're playing three-handed, which is, you know, not a lot of people's favorite. And uh, in this game, there is a ton of, tracking there's a ton of hit point management there's a ton of you got to watch this person's uh so uh, in this game you're a bunch of heroes and you have a fixed deck of cap of powers and you're fighting against the one boss monster so um there's a lot to track so like the bosses have minions and the minions i'll do something different and the bosses have all different abilities and it disactivates then this activates then so it's really frustrating for a lot of people um to get into but uh so much fun and once you get into it, once you kind of get over that hump, you, it, it kind of flows. Like you kind of get familiar with the boss. You kind of get familiar with the types of um, status effects that are on there. And it's just so much fun. So actually, what I wanted to ask Luke was, um, because I know this is one of your favorite games, and I'm not going to ask you to, to spoil it now, but I do want to ask you to compare this game to Aeon's End. I think Aeon's End is probably a better game. It's a more solid game. It runs smoother. Maybe, I mean, faster, especially because the setup time for Aeon Zen is pretty involved. Um, but it's definitely so much smoother. It's almost disorienting how smooth the boss runs. You just put a card down and do a thing and it's done. Where in Sentinels, there's a lot of upkeep. So did that kind of make a difference for you? Or are you still on the Sentinels bandwagon? Oh, certainly having a good time with a big smile on my face basking with that one, especially with the lead up. But <laughs> <laughs> it's will funny it be on this like... list? Will it be on this list? We don't know. But uh, I don't remember being dressed in the superhero costume, though. That must be someone else. <laughs> but Zeon's End, I've played it and reviewed it, and I do like it. 
as a game, it is very good. And I agree with you, yeah, there is a little less upkeep in that one because of just drawing a card and playing it. My only thing with Xeon's End is that Sentinels, one big thing about it that grabs me is that you have your own deck tailored specifically for you. This is your hero, this is your deck, it's not like anyone else's. Whereas Xeon's End is a deck builder. So it feels more like, you know, I'm almost like playing Thunderstone with a few tweaks. You know, it's just going up against one boss as opposed to a bunch of little guys in a dungeon. And, I mean, ignoring component quality and the really bad insert and stuff for Xeon's End, it was a Kickstarter after all. You know, the artwork is good, the gameplay is pretty solid. I just find that that one takes a... It, despite the fact it's smoother, it seems to take longer, especially when you do have more players. I think that solo mode is the best way to play it, but the difficulty scaling on that is some bosses can be an absolute nightmare trying to beat them solo because they doesn't. I don't think it scales as well as... You know, I mean, Sentinels doesn't scale perfectly, but I mean, three or four players, yeah, you can get by with that. Um, but with Xeon's End, if you just play with a true solo deck, it feels very different difficulty-wise than if you're playing with three players, which, to be fair, actually, three's probably my favorite, because I like that wild card for the turn mm. sequence. Although, the downside of using that turn sequence is that that can blow up in your face as well, because the, the way the turns go could just hose you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, It's still so, solid, uh, though. I just I th- If I was going to keep the two, it's going to be Sentinels. What you were saying before about, because I, mean, I was kind of, you know, so apples and oranges. Aeon would probably make a top twenty if I made if I went that list down that far. Um, but for Sentinels, I I, just, I get so attached to the characters. I get so attached to, like the art style and people kind of rag on the art style. I think it's good and it got better as the series went on. Do not look at those early Tachyon cards. It, they are pretty rough. <laughs> at the end, it, it gets a lot better and there's a lot of fan content for this. So my man Matthew Bishop, who is I believe a listener of the show at this point, uh, put out the fan-made Cauldron expansion. I print that out. Uh, it, that's I, honestly the reason why I like to play the physical version rather than the app. The app is excellent. Um, the sidekick is also excellent if you want to kind of keep track of the physical version. So there's a lot of um, tech support for this game. So it's going to keep hitting the table. I'm going to keep I, – I kick-started Sentinels of Earth Prime. Um, I'm, I'm in. Just, uh, so that's Sentinels of the Multiverse. Uh, Anthony, I know that you are not on the Sentinels bandwagon. <laughs> no, I am not. So, we'll so uh, feel free to move on to your number eight. All right, number eight for me. Uh, so uh, I got my 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 co-op in here, but of course it has to be a Euro co-op. And uh, <laughs> I don't know actually know how long this one's going to stay on the list, just because there's a new one coming out pretty soon from the same designer that takes a lot of the same mechanics and ramps them up to to 10 but right now uh, robinson crusoe um from Ignacy trevichek is my number eight it is a perfect um explore not exploration but a more adventure and survival game um, i loved these kinds of books when i was a kid i still love these kinds of books uh, of of people lost or exploring and having to overcome all these odds and that's exactly what this game is you it's tight uh, resources very tight uh, it can be very luck-driven at times, but I like that because you never quite know what you're going to get, which definitely feels thematic. And that whole idea of the narrative seeded into the deck where you're drawing cards and you, you take an action or don't take an action, and then based on what you do, it affects what might happen later. That's such a great idea, and I'm so excited to see how, how that kind of plays out um, when ramped up to 10 through a digital app. Uh, with First Martians, which is coming very, very soon. Um, this is, I don't typically like games like this. Uh, this one, though, is really, really good and has been, it's been up here for a little while. I didn't get to play it too much until um, the most recent version came out, uh, just because I couldn't find a copy, the old Z-Man copy. But now that I have it, I've been playing it quite a bit, and I'm very excited for the for First Martians, um, which hopefully should be shipping here in the next few weeks. Yeah, we're going to get demos of that at the Games Expo, and that's going to be one of the first things I'd be lying for. You know, whether it's going to replace Robinson Crusoe normal remains to be seen. The theme of Robinson Crusoe is a solid one, and I just, I mean, my only beef with the newest one is that everyone's just suddenly gone on this Mars craze all of a sudden. I don't know <laughs> if it's the movie or whether it just became an IP that everybody wanted to, but all of a sudden in the last year, we've just had Mars this, Mars that. I mean, we couldn't even just go to a different planet. No, it had to be Mars. <laughs> so I don't get where this obsession has come from. 
I've been obsessed with that forever. I was, I've been so excited. I, I am a little worried that we'll be burnout though, because you can only have so many Mars games. We've already got at least five or six. It's ridiculous now. Yeah. I mean, if you can have as many Cthulhu games and zombie games, I think there's plenty of room for Mars games. Oh, I don't deny that. Yeah, Cthulhu and zombies need to stand down. I love the Cthulhu mythos. I'm not particularly big on zombies, but yeah, they do need to die <laughs> those themes need to the just zombies die. need to die let's that's a good again, thing get, they need to die again you know, like, just to make sure they stay down it's yeah you know, I mean, game designers are like this a lot though i mean whenever anything becomes remotely popular or when an ip becomes public domain you start seeing games nick it all over the place i mean if you've noticed all the recent sherlock home games that have been out i think that's because the ip for that has recently become mainstream and so mm-hmm. There's Sherlock Holmes games everywhere now. And I've yet to find a really good one. I love Sherlock Holmes, but we're getting way off track. Oh, my goodness. Um, <laughs> do you have a Sherlock Holmes game for your number eight? <laughs> no, instead, uh, I <laughs> instead I have a different franchise. Very popular, although the movies aren't doing it credit, let's say, at the moment. But out of all the legendary games, which um, you've got Marvel, you've got Predator, you've got various ones... In terms of which one's best solo, hands down goes to Alien Legendary, which even though the one of the rules in Alien has you like coordinate with other players, there is, you know, a rule, an official rule from the expansion that now tweaks what that happens in solo mode, and it's now like perfectly balanced for that. But it's just probably the main thematic deck builder I have found, because deck builders are not inherently thematic. It's difficult to get something where you're tailoring cards to fit well with the theme. And even Marvel Legendary struggles a little bit. But with Alien, it just seems to work. That whole that sort of complex across the top where you've got the locations and things come out hidden. So you've got to scan the area first with your tracker. And as Aliens flip, they do different things. And all the scenarios are tied to the movies. You've got a couple of new ones in the expansion, but originally it was the four movies. And even though two out of the four movies aren't that great... They're still fun to play in the card game, thankfully, but it's great to just, you know, play the second movie, for example, and it's like, oh, your new objective is set up the sentry guns. Oh, I remember that. And, you know, now you've got to go kill the queen and things like that. It's very tense. And any game which has a death where you can basically die from a chest burster impregnation is already scores it multiple marks because that's the best way you can die in any co-op game. <laughs> <laughs> Is it, oh, you died of first, oh, you died of dysentery. No, it doesn't matter. Dying from a chest burster is, is the way to go. See, to me, I'm not dying from a chest burster in that game. I'm dying from a massive seven hit point thing that came out in turn two, and I am not prepared for it. And I spent 20 minutes setting up that game, and the game is over, and now I have to break it down for another 20 minutes. And I've spent more time stepping breaking down than actually playing, and it was uh, not great when I played. So, uh, yeah, legendary. Woo-hoo! <laughs> They've only got three H points, the uh, face huggers. I know that. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm confusing it with all. Well, uh, I know legendary Marvel uh, does that uh, more. Uh, legendary counter system is a little bit more solid. But it's the I, I mean, I played legendary Firefly a little while ago, and it was it was kind of the same thing. It wasn't as uh, turn two kind of a loss, but there was just so much stuff coming out that we just couldn't like. It, it just got you know really um, overwhelming really fast. And even we even had like you know veterans of the system, and they're like going, oh, oh, oh this is great. They're having the whole legendary experience. I'm like, I, I don't want this experience. This is not... <laughs> it's harder when you play with more players, I'll admit. I mean, that's why they give you preparatory rounds in order to sort of shore up your cards a little bit before the nasty stuff comes out. But yeah, I mean, it can be like that, but most co-ops are all about telling a story or having the experience. Even if it does go completely wrong, it's usually just quite amusing to get that. And yeah, I mean, if you've set up the game and it ends quite quickly in a bad way, then, well, just put the cards back and play with the same routine again and see what happens the second time. But yeah, that can happen. That can happen with all sorts of games. I mean, even with Euros, I could be 30 minutes into the game, know that I've made a massive error, and I know that I'm going to be sat there for the next three and a half hours while everybody else actually has a run-in while I'm just sat there pretty much going through the motions. Yeah, that's true. And I think, like, I like this one, actually. I played it, but I haven't played it solo. Um, And I think part of the reason that I haven't gotten around to picking it up, even though I know a lot of people do like it, and I had enjoyed it multiplayer, is just the theme doesn't really hit it for me. Um, so like, if you love the theme, like it sounds like you do, it, I think it sounds like a, you know, it'd be a great solo experience. Whereas for me, 
I think I'd, I'd fall more in Jason's camp of uh, that card sucks versus knowing exactly <laughs> what it is that's killing me. Yeah, if there's a theme you like out of the Legendary series, then go pick up that particular theme. I mean, I just, despite the movies getting pretty sucky from like four onwards, you know, I still love the Alien and Predator franchise in general. So that's always hit off. In fact, I don't think Legendary has put out a theme I don't like yet, although I'm not as massive a fan of Big Trouble in Little China, but I've got some nostalgic connections to the sort of 80s cheese stuff like that. But yeah, superheroes, aliens, Predators, Firefly, they're like four of my favorite themes. I, I really wanted to because I, I like aliens. I really like Predator. I, I grew up on Predator. I really wanted to like the AVP movie, but watching that movie was kind of like eating a burger without the bun or any toppings. It was just all beef. Like here, boom, 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 boom. And I'm like, oh, this is like the first Alien was a horror movie. Like the first Alien, like really, it wasn't like an action movie. It was just like you know, it created a lot of mood, created a lot of tension, and and it just turned into this kind of big Hollywood. Anyway, uh, more getting off track. <laughs> I don't know if you felt the same way about the Alien movies. They just kind of drifted off towards like generic action. Yeah, I mean, you can't always do what Cameron does to a movie. But yeah, I mean, you got the first one, the best horror movie of all time. Then you got the second one, which is probably one of the best action movies of all time. And then you've got, oh, my God. And then you're All right. So uh, we are going to move on to our number sevens. Right, back to the Euros. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny, <laughs> like, like, taking a step back, it's funny. We have yet to have a crossover, and we are just totally, totally different, like, representative genres and experiences. I, th- this was really cool. I thought we would have a crossover by now, to be honest with you guys. Give it time. Yeah, it'll happen. <laughs> um, all right, so my number seven is, uh, so I looked at the big, huge box Euros uh, with solo variants, and I was like, which of these do I like the best? And so Fields of Aura was a close second. Uh, I definitely like that one a lot. Some of the other Rosenbergs aren't as good. Uh, they're, they're really just high score modes or practice modes more than anything. The one I really like, and I know a lot of people give me grief for this, but I don't care because I like it so much, is A Feast for Odin. Um, this one is similar to Fields of Aura in a little bit, just in that you kind of have the sandbox that you can play in all these different options to, you know, I think there's 80 different actions you can take. Um, and the the game itself is pretty much the same as the regular game, except you are playing two different colors of meeples. And so the actions you take in round one will block in round two, and then t- round two blocks round three, et cetera, et cetera. So you can never take the same action two rounds in a row. But otherwise, you're just playing the game. So it takes about 40 minutes once you know the game, um, which admittedly takes a little bit of time just because you have all those action spaces. But once you do, you can knock it out pretty quick. Um, and... It's just this big, massive, messy, glorious puzzle, <laughs> which I love. You know, it's it, Rosenberg throwing every single mechanic he's ever thought of into a single game in this giant box that looks like it could bury a pet. And it's it's <laughs> just this incredible... Oh, my, oh my God. <laughs> it's, That's you where know, you went, bury a pet? He's devoted, comes with free cat. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I was going to say coffin box, but it's not quite wide enough to be a coffin box, unless it's a cat. So, <laughs> Man, it's got dark fast. My uh, cat, sleep it... below. <laughs> that's true. That's true. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, no, this is a really good game. And, uh, you know, I'm not the only person, but it, it's, it's a pretty fantastic game. So, yes, a Feast for Odin is my number seven. I need to get it to the table a bit more after they sort of give it a view. I've still got it. Still, still like it, although I've yet to figure out how moving onto a separate island actually wins you the game because you sort of take this new island and then you end up with a bunch of negatives and you can't physically fill the island up. And it's like, hmm, okay, I'm obviously playing badly or there's something I'm missing because suddenly I don't want to ever move. But the only thing that slightly puts Feast of Odin lower than a lot of his other his other games I prefer, like the Harvin Governor, is the fact that in those games I find the theme comes out stronger, whereas this one, using that patchwork system of the Tetris pieces, kind of just throws me for a loop. And it doesn't make it dry, but it makes it it makes it almost laughable in certain situations. Like, here's all my plunder, and out in the garden I've got this nice big square where everything's laid out as a big Tetris shape <laughs> with all these bits stuck <laughs> everywhere, all the plunder and all the random coins out there. And the, the actual feast makes me laugh so hard because that one you 
you put the food on there, but it's not how much food you put on the table. It's whether you get it to cover the spaces or something in the world. So it's like, so forget giving me this giant pig and all this fruit and that. As long as you've got this bread going across the bottom, that's fine. That's enough to feed a Viking, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's usually the area I hear people being like, "What? What is this? What is this patchwork thing? What is this puzzling?" And I'm like, "But I love that part. But like, it doesn't make any sense." I'm like, "Yeah, I don't care. I like it." <laughs> You throw a little bit of abstract into my euro, and apparently I'm, I'm all I'm all for it. Yeah, it's good fun. I'm going to hang on to it, and give it a few more tries. There's a couple of friends at my group that adore it when I showed it to them, so it's like okay, I'll bring it more often. Just yeah, probably isn't the one I pull out for solo more for multiplayer. Still playing with my Legos over here. Carry on, guys. This <laughs> is close to Legos. It's close. You're putting pieces together. You're, you got to match them up, huh? I'll Maybe tell my two-year-old future. just like that. Here, have, play with a feast for Odin. See what happens. Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> Maybe in the future. Maybe in the future expansion, you'll be able to stack them on top of each other as well. Three-dimensional <laughs> feast for Odin. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Luke. What's your uh, number seven? Well, I'm not going to go into too much detail on this one because yes, you were asking for a crossover. We've now got one, but it's not with you, I'm afraid, Jason. It's literally just with what Anthony's been saying about. Uh, Robertson Crusoe, which I remember, I still have to apologize for this a lot because I originally put it on my overrated games top 10 when I played it like four player a couple of times and was like, I'm not seeing where the hype for this is. It's like, it's okay, but it's just taking too long and, you know, massively hard. Then I bought it and tried it a few times solo. And now I pretty much universally play this solo because the game just goes a lot quicker You've still got Friday and the dog as characters, so you can basically play almost like three separate people. There's still loads of variety in that box, and the theme has been coming out more and more as I've got into it, and also as I've started to get a little bit better at the game as well, because it took me a long time before I even worked out how to beat the first scenario, let alone try out the others. But it's, yeah, the theme is coming out strong with that. I am definitely looking forward to first Martians. Whether it will replace it or not, I have no idea, but... I'm a big patriot for apps in board games, so this whole concept of having the event deck pre essentially a giant app is certainly looking strong. So fingers crossed. If anyone's going to pull it off, it's Ignacity, but I've, you know, a few days' time. I'm getting in on this demo. Oh, I'm so jealous. I, I mean, I pre-ordered it, so I have a copy coming sometime in the near future, but I wish I got to play it soon. Yeah, actually, Robson Crusoe, I like Robson Crusoe a lot. I missed my list because... There's just too much luck at the end of the game. So I don't mind luck at the beginning, in the middle, like, you know, luck in terms of random layouts of tiles, which there are, you know, you don't know what tile you're getting. Uh, but when you're towards the end and you're making that final rush to like, oh, I have a giant, beautiful hut. I know the storm clouds are coming, but my hut can take this. And no, <laughs> because the dice just kind of hose you, uh, which, again, I don't mind in a shorter game, but in a longer game, you know, 45 plus minutes, I, I, I just have an issue with all of your best laid plans turning to nothing because of uh, dice rolls. It doesn't always happen, but it happens often enough where it's like, oh, you know, Ignasi. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was the one that did like long games. I mean, 45 minutes, that's not, <laughs> that's a fine enough length. I love too when we talked to him about it too, and he was just like reveling in that. He's like, ah, ha, 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 the luck. <laughs> your guys die. <laughs> It's the story part of it, though. That's what I don't mind about co-ops doing that, because I get what why most people I know that don't like the co-op genre will go on about the, the luck side of it, which is legit. If you really don't want your best laid plans to potentially get hosed, then the co-op genre is going to cause you issues. But I love the experience up until the end more than the conclusion. You know, I could lose at the very end, and we'd be like, ah, oh, we were so close. But that hour that you've been doing it is the experience and what I've enjoyed throughout, especially if it's really close. I mean, if you do manage to win it, then great. Everybody's cheering up, hands up in the air. But with Robinson, it's whether, whether I win or lose, it's what happened during the game. And if you want an example of that, then go watch Dice Tower's live broadcast that they did from a convention where Ignosity taught Sam how to play the game along with Z and Tom. And yeah, they lost on like the seventh turn. There was no way they were going to win. But I have never laughed so hard watching them play a game ever, just with the sheer amount of jokes and, and silly little things like Tom being the chef and cooking things like stone soup and dodgy mushrooms and berries, which caused them all to be <laughs> ill, and Sam blowing away every animal that's in the jungle that he can find. It's <laughs> such a great laugh. 
All right, well, I'm about to, I guess, label myself a hypocrite a little bit because my next game is long and random. <laughs> but, uh, well, <laughs> I think, like, uh, I mean, in terms of Robinson Crusoe, like, there's a lot of strategy that goes into it. So, like, I, I, I guess I don't like when strategy, when you're strategizing and you're brain burning and doing all that stuff, and then luck comes in to kind of foil that. Uh, but if a game is just purely like random and thematic, and I don't mind that, and I can go on for a long time with that. I'm a D and D player, so of course that's there's nothing but narrative and randomness in D and D. Hopefully, a good story comes out of that. Uh, but my number seven is my narrative experience, my choice for a narrative experience. Uh, Luke, this will make you really happy. It is Betrayal at House on the Hill. Gotcha. This, no, it's not. this is this is a silence of happiness. You know? <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> I wish it was. Um, it's a good game until it breaks when the trader comes out. Uh, it's actually, but it is as it is as weird. Uh, it is Tales of the Arabian Nights. So Tales of the Arabian Nights is not a solo out of the box, but uh, there's very little interaction between the different characters as they travel along the path. Um, what it what it does is um, you're just there and you're going from spot to spot and you're reading. Uh, each at each spot, you're having some sort of random crazy encounter, and the encounter just has nothing to do with any kind of skill whatsoever. So there's no Tetris pieces in, <laughs> there's no like um, uh, burying cat coffin characters in, in this game. It is just, oh, or maybe you might, you actually might have a story where there's some sort of crazy thing that happens with a cat in a coffin. I don't know. I haven't gotten to that part of the book yet. But, um, you know, I have, like, you know, gotten lost and fought polar bears. And then, you know, you fight some Maharaja somewhere and you come up on the other side of the world. It is crazy. Uh, and there's a scoring system which kind of makes it a quote-unquote game. Uh, but, come on. <laughs> you just make it as long as you want to make it. You have a fun story at the end of it. Uh, and, you know, and, and as, as a solo experience, I think, like, you know, there's that... I think there's, like, a resistance to kind of playing this kind of game solo because it's like, okay, why would we want to tell a story by myself? But we read. So, you know, on ourselves, right? Uh, this is, yeah, we, we read Choose Your Own Adventure books, you know, that kind of thing. You know, this is it's kind of a, just, I, I find that very, uh, it's a similar experience, similar enough experience where I really enjoy it. Um, and so, you know, I, I want, like, there's a bunch of games out there, like Winter Tales and Sojourner Tales, and which is more recent, uh, that have tried this and not done very well. I think a lot have gotten a lot of negative buzz. I'm hoping that A Thousand and One Odysseys coming up from Asmati Games, does this right for the soloist. Uh, but for now, until that comes out, my pick is Tales of the Arabian Nights for a awesome narrative experience. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, the scoring system, nobody cares. I just sort of say, I'll play for 90 minutes, flip the table and see who did the best or had the funniest story. Because you really just don't care about that scoring system. Uh, but I didn't usually bring it out solo, and yeah, I get the argument. If if someone says, well, why would I want to do it by myself? And it's like, well, we did choose our own adventure books. It's the exact same thing, So, except this time you get a little bit more humor out of it. Uh, but no, I mean, I can see it going there, and we're coming to this point in the list where you can certainly tell that one of us has a Eurocentric list, one of us has a co-op-centric list, and the other one has a list where the game was not designed for solo, but it's going to be solo anyway. <laughs> so it's like, it's like, <laughs> Yay, playtime! He's calling you a cheater. <laughs> oh, man. This play game... Games. Listeners, play these games. You tell me if you can play these games solo or not. Darn it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we are going to move on to our number six. Well, I'm going to make Jason happy because obviously, I mean, I, I love chucking dice as well. And this is a dice chucker. We've already mentioned it in passing on this list. But this is one where I bought the game, tried it, liked it, didn't feel like keeping it because there wasn't enough content. But now I've kickstarted the new one that's come out with all the bells and whistles. And that's Hostage Negotiator. This one, yes, it's a dice chucker. It's going to have luck in it. But it's so short. It's so easy. The theme is actually fairly strong because it's, it does represent a lot of the whole negotiation process of, all right, load them in, load them in. Oh, it's going to pop, right? Send in snipers, you know, it's all going down. And But what really sets this one apart is the individual enemies that you go up against because each one changes how the game plays out, how it ends so well. 
you know, your first basic one, I think, is just your average nut job terrorist. You know, see the world burn. I'm going to start killing people left and right if you don't do what I say. And that's one way it plays. But then you might flip to the next boat, who's just this, you know, generally nice guy father who's just so desperate for medical bills for his daughter that he's resorted to a terrorist hostage situation in order to get him paid. And with that one, you know, he's not killing people left and right, but it's difficult to convince him out of his problem. And it's, it just works really well with all the different scenarios. And there's so many of all of them now. I can't even remember how many there are, but when the Kickstarter came on for the box, I just went, you know what? Yeah, I want a complete storage solution for this and I want to get back into it. So it's probably, yeah, looking at my list, that is my go-to dice-chucking solo game. Yeah, I mean, like I said, this one's really, really close for me. I've I've really enjoyed it for the last couple of years now, and I also back that. So I'm excited to get all the new content um, that's coming coming on the way because, you know, base game out of the box, like you said, it's fine, it's fun. But when you add in all those extra, um, you know, different different versions of the game and the, the variants and the, the way the kind of game tweaks and the, the narrative is different and the reason you're doing these things is different, um, yeah, you're still chucking dice, but it does add a lot, so... Totally agree with you there. The best thing this game did was um, <clears throat> AJ Porfirio, who is one of our solo um, solo game Facebook friends. Uh, hopefully, he's a listener of the show. Who knows? Um, you're invited on the show anytime. <laughs> uh, he invited a bunch of guest designers to do the some of the bosses. So it was cool to see the different uh, different people kind of take the mechanisms. And it's a simple game, so you can kind of build a, a lot on top of that basic engine. And do really different stuff with it. So, like, you know, you have a uh, one bad guy who's like, you know, like Speed, that movie, that old movie Speed, where like he's on a bus and you know the bus has to stop and go and all that kind of stuff. Um, so that that was that was really good. Breathe a lot of life into the game. So I, I I really did not like the game. Like I did not like it. Uh, but getting into those bosses, I definitely kind of turning around on it a little bit. My number six. I'm about to make Anthony happy. So no more toys, at least for this one. <laughs> <laughs> we made it. Uh, we made it to the real list. <laughs> we've made it to the adult section. <laughs> and this one is really, uh, this one's really a brain burner. My two-year-old's not going to play with this. Uh, this one is, well, okay, so it's my strategy game, and I do like strategy games. Uh, I know I kind of, you know, make fun of it a little bit, but I really do like sitting down and, and burning my brain but my thing with those kind of games is like I really have to get into the theme. For me, the theme unlocks the mechanics. If it's just a dry euro, I have no chance. Um, it, but if if I at least can hook into uh, the world of the game, the style of the game, the art, you know, the graphic design has to be clean. And, you know, it just as long as I can kind of get into that, I can do pretty well with these. Um, the real answer to this is through the ages, but I'm going to stop my tendency to give you solo games that are not solo on the box. Um, I will give you a solo <laughs> game. <laughs> my, this one I use a solo variant for, um, but then that's the one I play a lot. But I'm going to give you a game that plays solo out of the box is really great, which is Shakespeare. Uh, Shakespeare, you know, I'm not going to say that, that Shakespeare has a theme where you really feel like you're dressing actors and you're uh, writing stuff. Yeah, that that's I'm not going to go that far, but the game has great style. The game has great, um, you know, the art is great, and you know the little uh, the actors they're you know really funny. Um, just you know, kind of looking at that whole the way the whole presentation of the game, and it's a really tight game. I'm not a huge fan of games where you know the resources are really tight and you you really you always feel like you're behind. So like Agricola has always very been stressful for me. This game is like that, but the it's faster like you can get it you can knock a game out in like 40 minutes and you know if you make a mistake then you can kind of see your mistake you kind of reset and you know do it again uh, mistakes will kill you in this game no question about it um, but you know you just clean it up and go, do it next time it, it's it cleans up fast it's very tight it's very satisfying I, i'm loving me some shakespeare this is such a good game i'm so happy that it made someone's list because it didn't quite make mine um but it is one that I, I greatly enjoy. As somebody who studied this for you know years in college, um, and can kind of look through all these different cards and pick apart you know the different uh, from the different plays, and really thematically, I mean, it's as thematic as any Euro, I guess. But it really does a good job, I think, of kind of capturing what it is like 
or at least in that time, to put on a play um, and the different elements and the different stages and the different things that matter. Um, and and got to love the part where you have to pay the actors, of course. So uh, it's and the fact that it only takes like 30 minutes to play and you still get basically the full experience. Um, you don't get that in a lot of euros, period. And, and it does take, you know, an hour and a half or so to play with other people. So it really does streamline it down and lets you kind of dig into the game and the mechanics, which I really, really enjoy. Um, I highly recommend to the expansion, which gives you something to do with the um, the workers that you do not use uh, in any given round. So you can kind of make sure that you're always doing something with all of those. Um, I think it definitely adds a lot, just one little deck of cards. But but yeah, yeah, this is one that um, didn't quite make my list because other Euros are ahead of it, but it's it's one I really like. Not played it, but I would certainly like to. I've only seen one person locally have this game and I just wasn't available at the time, but if we're able to get this out before the Expo, if somebody wants to bring it to the UK Games Expo and find me, then I would like to play this one, because it looks like something I would enjoy if it's got at least a strong enough theme to get into it more. It's not, like, super dry. All right. Anthony, you're number six. Uh, more Euros. Let's do it. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Where's your senseless toy that is on the list? we got to come one. together here. Yeah. I don't know. Let's see. Do I have one? No, I do not. Um, <laughs> uh, so mine is uh, my number six is Terraforming Mars. This is one of my favorite games Mars. from the last year, Mars, and Mars, it's about Mars. 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 Yep, yep. <laughs> this is the science Mars game. Uh, so this is so the main game is you know has a lot of buzz right now. It's risen in the ranks in BGG a lot. There are some detractors now that people played it a decent amount. Giant deck of cards. Obviously, it's a little random which cards you get. If you're playing with other people, you have to draft. Otherwise, the game can get very frustrating for some. Um, don't play with five people. It's way too long. But as a solo experience, it's one of the better implementations I've seen in a, in a Euro because it adds a timer. You only have 14 rounds. You have to complete all three global objectives. And your score doesn't really matter unless you win. Um, if you win, obviously, you want to see how your score is. But... You just need to win, and it's hard enough to win, and that's fantastic. It's tight. It's hard. I only win maybe half the time. Some of the corporations, it's easier to win with than others. So the game comes with, I think, 10 or 12 different corporations. And so you don't, you're not even just playing the same game over and over again. You can say, okay, I'm going to be the mining guild today and see if I can beat the game with this. Um, or I'm going to be this one that gives me extra titanium and see if I can beat it with this. And some of them are much easier than others. Um <laughs> And, and just getting your engine built up quickly enough so that you can actually terraform all those different ratings. I think there's something like 43 total things that you need to do in those 14 rounds is difficult. And up until the last round or two, you never quite know if you're going to make it. And so I love that. And it still only takes like 45 minutes because you're playing by yourself. You're not waiting for everybody to read all of their cards, which is one of the reasons the game takes so long with everybody. Um, so yeah, Terraforming Mars has been at my table over and over and over again uh, the last year. And I'm super excited for these expansion maps that are coming here in the next couple months because then I get new maps and the old one's starting to get a little dry because I've played it so many times. How are you going to get different maps for this, though? I mean, it's Mars. I mean, they've already done the whole planet. So what, are they just going to have Mars with a slightly different layout? I think it's just different parts of the planet. So, or maybe zoomed in on certain areas. Maybe a different yeah. planet, God forbid, you know, terraforming Venus. <laughs> <laughs> it would sell less. Nobody wants Venus. Nobody cares about Venus. Yeah. You can't go to Venus. Come She's on. a fire. She's a desire. <laughs> the movie wasn't the Venetian. The movie was the Martian. Exactly. The Venetian. Terraforming is a... That is a hit or miss one with mine. I did the review recently and, I mean, there was a mix of, uh, oh, yeah, I agree, and a mix of taking garbage, which you have to when you don't give something a perfect review, that's the hype. But I, I actually reckon this one I would enjoy more if it was done solo, you know, playing it in solo mode, because that sounds a lot better. You know, you don't, it doesn't take three and a half hours like the normal four to five player game does. You don't have to wait for downtime because you are just getting it done. And there's not, the, the luck of the game is to tone down a little bit, because even if you draft the cards, I mean, you might just not get the ones in the draft you need and somebody might just instantly get the ones they want, particularly if they're playing next to a player who hasn't played before and doesn't know what to block. You know, the, I mean, the first game I had of this was at, I think, Aircon last March, and it was five players, two new players, 
went on for over three hours and all I was getting was comets, meteors, asteroids or something, despite the fact my corp had nothing to do with that stuff. And it wasn't necessarily because I was choosing them, it's just because that's all that ever appeared in the draft. So I couldn't exactly do a huge amount with it. But I mean, I get its popularity, it just hasn't sung well with me. But I suspect, yeah, solo mode probably beats multiplayer mode easily. I do like this game a lot. I, I like Race for the Galaxy. Race for the Galaxy was a tough cut uh, from my list because uh, I do like that a lot. Uh, Terraforming Mars is like is like that the board game and gives me the same kind of um, you know building a tableau, getting your engine going. I and the theme is awesome. So yeah, definitely uh, Anthony. I agree. You can play race solo. Yes, you can play <laughs> race all sorts of solo. It's a, in the first expansion. I'm not even making it up this time. Uh, <laughs> You, you see what you've expansion. done? Nobody trusts you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've, just, I've just not seen it played solo, but I mean, to be fair, it's a, it would be a good one to play solo. I mean, I don't like playing it with more than two players, so you know, one or two sounds like a good way to do it. The, the very first expansion, and this is like an old expansion, 2007 or 8 or whatever it is, had solo rules, and it, it worked really well. I, I probably, Terraform Mars kind of leapt ahead of that uh, for me. Uh, just missed the list. So um, we are going to move on to our number five. Well, guys, I hope you enjoyed part one of this two-part special. Sorry if the audio is off in a few odd places here and there. You know, everybody was recording their own individual track. We did have a very good setup with Skype. Unfortunately, technological issues arose and the Skype conversation on their end, unfortunately, didn't record anybody else's voices apart from their own, which was kind of weird. So I had to essentially marry up three individual tracks together. So it was quite a tricky process, but hopefully it's come out all right and you enjoyed this episode. So take care from me. I will see you at the UK Games Expo. I will see you on part two of this epic collaboration. Signing off, take care, and remember, it's only a game. Thanks for listening. You can check out more material from the Broken Meeple at my website at www.brokenmeeple.blogspot.co.uk. You can also find me on Facebook or see my Twitter handle at the Broken Meeple. If you live anywhere near Portsmouth, feel free to come along to one of our fortnightly Wednesday board gaming clubs, Portsmouth On Board. Search for us on meetup.com or Facebook for more information. Occasional support for the Broken Meeple comes in the form of review copies of games from distributors such as Estevium Games and from retailers such as Chaos Cards, where you can find great games at great prices at chaoscards.co.uk. Thanks again, and from me and everyone else at the Dice Tower Network, have fun gaming. You're listening to the Dice Tower Network. If you like this show, you might like the Secret Cabal Gaming Podcast or Board Gamers Anonymous. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com.